Hi everyone, I'm Debbie Roberts, owner and financial advisor at Property Apprentice. Join us today for the Week in Review where I talk about current events for the everyday investor and home buyer. Our topics for this week, first up from landlords.co.nz on the 10th of July, sales slowly getting back to market-driven cycle. Second topic from Stuff on the 12th of July, easy money costing average Kiwi adult $1,000 a year. Third topic from interest.co.nz on the 12th of July, more than 105,000 overseas workers have arrived in New Zealand since the beginning of the year. Fourth topic from News Hub, 10th of July, cost of living, Westpac warns average Auckland mortgages could skyrocket by $1,600. And fifth topic from Stuff on the 10th of July, online tool allowing users to see properties landlords own has been taken down. First topic for this week in review from landlords.co.nz on the 10th of July, sales slowly getting back to market-driven cycle. The Auckland housing market's showing signs of returning to normalcy, according to real estate agency Barfoot & Thompson. In June, they sold 711 properties, a number comparable to pre-COVID levels, and 3.9% higher than June last year. Despite the challenging housing market cycle in recent years, there are positive signs indicating a period of increased stability. The average sales price in June was $1.097 million, or $1,097,896 to be precise, a 2.5% increase from the previous month and 1% higher than the average price of the preceding three months. The median price also saw an increase of 4.2% compared to May, reaching $995,000. When compared to the same months four years ago, both the average and median sale prices in June were approximately 17% higher. This comparison provides a meaningful insight into market-driven cycles, excluding recent price fluctuations. Peter Thompson, the Managing Director of Barfoot & Thompson, noted an increase in multi-offer bids on properties and busy auction rooms throughout the month. While this increased activity is not driving up prices, it reflects growing confidence, which is positive for both buyers and sellers. New listings have continued to enter the market with 1,266 properties listed in June, which is aligning with expectations for the winter period. This sense of familiarity is reassuring against the current backdrop and further indicates cautious optimism. Barfoot & Thompson had 4,277 listings on its books at the end of the month. There was high demand for properties under 750,000 with 180 sold during the month. However, data from CoreLogic shows that property values across the country weakened in June. The monthly rate of decline accelerated with a 1.2% drop compared to a 0.7% fall in May. Four out of six of New Zealand's main centres also recorded larger falls in June. This decline brought the national annual rate of change to 10.6% below the same period last year. The prolonged period of interest rate hikes and stretched mortgage affordability has impacted demand, resulting in the acceleration of property price falls. Despite the decline, the nationwide average house price value remains $183,000 higher than the pre-COVID level in March 2020. However, the fall from the peak has surpassed $130,000, illustrating the significant growth influenced by the pandemic, predominantly in the final two months just before the peak of the boom. If you want to find out more about my thoughts on that, come along to one of our free events and I'll tell you all about it. 
Nick Goodall, head of research at CoreLogic, suggests that the data may temper expectations that the housing downturns already ended. Nevertheless, the varying results across the country indicate that the housing market trough might not be too far away. I thought so. We've already passed it. But join me at one of our free events and you'll find out why. Goodall emphasises the importance of assessing key market drivers and recent changes to predict market trends rather than focusing solely on the timing of the market bottom. Reduced supply, increased confidence, looser credit requirements, high net migration and near-peak mortgage interest rates have supported demand and set the stage for upcoming changes in the market. However, stretched affordability, mainly due to high property values and interest rates, is likely to restrict demand and lead to more stable and balanced market once the bottom is reached. Goodall suggests that while a strong price rebound isn't expected, a stable market is anticipated. Second topic for this week in review from Stuff on the 12th of July, lazy money costing average Kiwi adults $1,000 a year. Many New Zealanders are missing out on approximately $4 billion a year due to keeping their money in low-interest savings or no-interest check accounts, according to former bank CEO David Cunningham. He estimates that this amounts to roughly $1,000 per per New Zealand adult, although the distribution isn't even. Cunningham advises savers to explore one-year term deposits and special rates instead of low-interest accounts and shorter-term deposits. By doing so, individuals can significantly increase their earnings. For example, having $10,000 in a one-year term deposit at a rate of 5.85% would yield $585 annually compared to leaving the money in a cheque account with no interest. The advantage of shorter term deposits is diminishing, with the average three-month term deposit currently earning around 4.2%, whereas the six-month term deposit rate is 5.65%. Shorter-term rates typically align with the bank bill rate or interbank lending rates. On the other hand, longer-term deposit rates usually follow wholesale market interest rates or swap rates. Currently, the one-year swap rate is 5.87%, while the term deposit rates offered by major banks range from 5.8% to 5.85%. This narrow difference suggests strong competition among banks in the market. Cunningham notes that banks often adjust their special rates and many are currently in the range of six to nine month terms. Although special rates are more favourable than shorter term rates, they tend to converge across the banks. Jose George, the General Manager of CanStar New Zealand, highlights the notable variation in the market, with some banks offering attractive rates of up to 6.1% for a one-year term. He suggests that individuals seeking higher returns should explore different offers or consider switching to a bank with better deals. Many New Zealanders have reacted to the relatively poor rates on regular savings accounts by shifting their money. Currently, approximately $42 billion is sitting in transaction accounts earning nothing in interest, which banks either lend out or keep in their own accounts with the Reserve Bank at 5.5%. This generates easy income of $2.3 billion a year for the banks. While lower interest savings accounts may remain the best option for those needing quick access to cash, individuals looking to maximise their savings should consider alternatives that offer better returns. And if you'd like to learn more about investing in property, join me at one of our free events called How to Succeed with Property Investing in 2023. I'll discuss strategies for successful investing from my perspective as a financial advisor 
available live online or in person. Check out propertyapprentice.co.nz for upcoming dates and register today. We don't sell property, so it's all about increasing your knowledge to reduce your risk. And if you've already been to one of our free events and would like to find out more about how we can help you to reach your financial goals, book a no-obligation phone call or meeting with my husband, Paul Roberts, via the website, propertyapprentice.co.nz. Third topic for this week in review from interest.co.nz on the 12th of July. More than 105,000 overseas workers have arrived in New Zealand since the beginning of the year. The Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment, MB, reports that the number of overseas workers arriving in New Zealand on work visas continues to increase. In June, 16,878 people arrived on work visas, marking a significant rebound from the low numbers observed between April 2020 and March 22 due to pandemic-related restrictions. The easing of border controls has led to a consistent monthly influx of over 15,000 work visa holders since the beginning of this year and over 11,000 since September 2021. For the first half of 2023, a total of 105,150 people arrived on work visas, approaching pre-pandemic levels when compared to the 123,492 arrivals in the same period in 2019. As of June, there were 145,455 people in New Zealand on work visas, a decrease from over 200,000 in June 2020. However, the introduction of the 2021 Residence Visa Scheme, which allowed around 160,000 people already in New Zealand on work visas to fast-track their residence visas, contributed to this decline. Consequently, the total number of people in New Zealand on residence visas surpassed 300,000 in the past month, reaching a record high since MB began tracking data in 2008. It's worth noting that the 300,000 figure is limited to the first five years after receiving the residence visa, as MB does not count individuals beyond that period. Therefore, the actual number of people holding residence visas is likely to be significantly higher. And that's going to have a major impact on market rents, especially in Auckland, and eventually that'll trickle through to home buyer prices as well because, you know, obviously people who get permanent residency and settle in New Zealand at some stage might be looking to purchase a home. Fourth topic for this week in review from News Hub on the 10th of July, cost of living. Westpac warns average Auckland mortgages could skyrocket by $1,600. Westpac has issued a warning to Auckland homeowners who bought an average price house two years ago stating that they could face higher mortgage rates of approximately $1,600 a month. In its latest economic bulletin, Westpac highlighted that New Zealand is currently experiencing both a cost-of-living crisis and the great refixing of mortgage rates. Over the past year, an increasing number of borrowers have transitioned from very low fixed mortgage rates, which were available during the early stages of the COVID-19 pandemic, to much higher interest rates now. For those who fixed their mortgage in May 2021, rates were around 2.6%. However, at present, the same borrowers will be refinancing at rates over 6%. To put this into perspective, if an average price home was purchased two years ago with an 80% mortgage, the rise in interest rates could add approximately $900 to monthly mortgage payments in most parts of the country. In Auckland, where house prices tend to be higher, the increase in mortgage interest costs could be closer to $1,600 a month. 
Westpac projects that around 50% of all mortgages will be up for repricing over the coming year, which is going to expose many New Zealanders to higher rates. As a result, households may be spending more than 20% of their income on interest costs by the end of the year, compared to the current level of about 15%. However, Westpac also noted that incomes have risen by around 6% over the past year, driven by the strength of the labour market and rapid wage increases. Despite the rising costs, household spending has continued to grow at a brisk pace, with nominal spending levels up approximately 9% over the past year. Westpac highlighted that the increase in household spending has been partly due to the 6.7% rise rise in household living costs. Adjusting for higher prices, the amount of goods households have been able to purchase has effectively remained flat. The bank also mentioned that households are now saving around 1% of their disposable incomes, down from over 2% last year, which could imply a reduced buffer for future spending. Additionally, households' net wealth has fallen by 9% since the end of 2021, primarily due to the decline in house prices. This is particularly concerning for families who entered the housing market in recent years, as they may face higher debt servicing costs while the value of their homes have decreased. Lower levels of household wealth could also discourage future spending. Fifth topic for this week in review from Stuff on the 10th of July, online tool allowing users to see properties landlords own taken down. An online search tool that allowed tenants to view their landlord's property portfolios has been removed from the website due to concerns over privacy. Shocker. The creators of whatdoesmylandlordown.org were informed by Deputy Privacy Commissioner Liz McPherson that the tool violated the Privacy Act. The search tool has been replaced with a blog post where the creators expressed defiance and called for support in challenging the decision. They criticised the Deputy Commissioner, claiming her opinion was influenced by pressure from landlords and property developers. The Privacy Commission emphasised that agencies collecting personal information must protect and respect individuals' privacy rights to prevent harm. The creator stated that the Deputy Commissioner's decision impacted their access to ownership information provided by Land Information New Zealand, or LINS. As a result, LINS revoked their access to the data. The Privacy Commission neither confirmed nor commented on ordering the takedown, stating that the matter was ongoing and that they continued to communicate with the website owners, LINS and the public. The creators responded to privacy concerns by hiding names if landlords owned fewer than 20 properties and provided a form for users to obfuscate their names if desired. They also made the website software open source to allow others to create similar tools. Paid tools such as Terranet offer more extensive property information, including purchase dates, owner names and prices paid. The creators pointed out that Terranet primarily targeted property owners, not tenants, and questioned the differing levels of scrutiny. The creators emphasised that their motive was to empower tenants, highlighting the issues faced by many New Zealanders living in substandard rentals. They called for accountability and improvements in living conditions, expressing disappointment with the Deputy Commissioner's decision. The creators, identifying themselves as renters without the financial means to defend against potential legal consequences, urged the Deputy Commissioner, the Commissioner and other decision makers to reverse the decision. My thoughts are on this, like what difference is it going to make 
to the tenant to know how many properties their landlord owns. I think this is just tall poppy syndrome and, you know, at its worst, to be honest. It's not going to make any difference to the tenant. It's just making them feel less than, which is unnecessary. Are you ready to seize opportunities in the property market? Don't miss out on our upcoming How to Succeed with Property Investing in 2023 events. As an experienced property investor and licensed financial advisor, I'll be sharing valuable insights, proven strategies, and expert tips to help you on your journey. Our events cater to all levels of learners, whether you're a first home buyer or a seasoned investor. Join us for these free sessions and upgrade your investing strategy today. We also prioritize addressing your property-related questions, ensuring you get the information you need. Visit propertyapprentice.co.nz today to secure your spot and register for our free events. Alternatively, book a no-obligation phone call or meeting with my husband, Paul Roberts, through our website, propertyapprentice.co.nz. Thanks for listening.